fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? We are uh, walking through this summer a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed digging into each of these, uh, these topics, each of these words, each of these actions, to figure out more how, what it really looks like for us in our lives. Um, two things I want to hit on. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. Two things I want to hit on before we uh, uh, get rolling into the fruit that we're going to talk about today is, is really we got to understand two things when we look at all of these fruit of the Spirit together. Number one, and my Bible says it this way, the fruit the Holy Spirit gives. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he pours out in you and I as we lean into Christ, as we lean in to who he is, as we read our word, as we grow daily. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. He grows not only knowledge of the word, but these fruit within us as we are, are develop it and keep our focus on him. The second is really important. We are looking at each one of these individually each week all summer. But what we have to understand is it, it's not individual fruit. It is all one. These are all different elements that the Holy Spirit uh, births in us, uh, puts in us, develops in us. That's why our logo is one pear, not a cherry and a watermelon and, and, and a cantaloupe and, and a star fruit or whatever your favorite fruit is. Um, it's all together in one. So when we work on goodness, we're working on kindness. The Holy Spirit is, is putting love and joy and peace in us at the same time. These are all one and the same, but they're a gift the Holy Spirit gives us as we jump into it. If you have your Bibles, we've, uh, we've looked at it. It was read in the bumper, but I want to look at it again. Galatians chapter 5. It says this, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. We've jumped in already to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and I've really enjoyed it. In fact, I would in, in challenge you, go back and listen to some of those messages. There's some great stuff there. Today, we are going to jump into faithfulness. The fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. And depending on what your version of the Bible is, some say faith and some say faithfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up and I read different versions, that confused me. Because which one is it? Faith or faithfulness? I mean, in my mind, those are two different things, right? Faith is like believing God to move a mountain or for a healing or for the impossible. And faithfulness, well, on this hand, faithfulness is being faithful to my spouse, being consistent or being present. Seemingly two different things, but which one is it? We're going to dig into that today and find out really it's not either or, it's both and, but let me give you an example. How many of you know who this guy is right here? Ready? Anyone know who that is? Mariner's jersey right over here. Jacob, he's got it. His name is Julio Rodriguez. Now, how many of you have never heard of him before? Okay, all right. How many of you uh, heard of him and know, know of him? Now, here's, here's my example. Up till about a month ago, I had no idea who this guy was. And then the Mariners started to win. And he started hitting home runs. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm a Mariners fan now. 
and then I put on the hat. This is what we call a bandwagon fan. <laughs> I am guilty. Bandwagon fan. How many of you are bandwagon fans? Yeah, we're, I'm going to a Mariners game for the first time in years. This year, because our men's group is going. But also, I want to see this guy hit. I love a good home run. Now, there's some of you here who do not like people like me. You are called real fans. How many of you have been Mariner fans for several years? Two or three years ago, you were fans when they couldn't buy a win. And they were completely irrelevant. See, yeah, wearing the jerseys. Now we're going to start seeing jerseys pop up everywhere, by the way. Because they have a chance. We'll see. They're the Mariners still. They're the Mariners. They might actually coog it. Anyway, um, oh, that was a jab on my own team. Whoo! Here's the deal. Here's, here's what we have. We have the bandwagon fans who are in only when it's convenient, when they're winning. When they're not, I couldn't name a single person on the team. I'll be honest. And then we have true fans. These are the people that are there. They believe in their team. They are faithful to their team. They buy tickets even when they're losing. And, and real fans at the beginning of every season always say something along the lines of, this is the year. And we're like, no, it's not. Uh, but this is the year. See, faithful, uh, faithful, true fans have that long-term investment saying, I'm in this. They may lose this year, but I'm not going anywhere. See, I, I think when we look at faithfulness in, in, the, in the Bible, we really zoom in on this idea. It's not only believing in my team, but it's being present for my team. It's being there. It's investing my life. And I think when we look at this word faithfulness, that's what we get, allegiance, loyalty, belief, consistency. It's not either or. I really think it's both and. We're going to dig into what Paul means when he says faithfulness, but, but it's having that long-term uh, vision that I, I know this is where I'm going and I'm not going to sway. In fact, that's my main point today. Faithfulness is more than just being loyal or more than just believing. Faithfulness is keeping a focus on eternity. It's keeping my focus on where I'm going. And that's, by the way, teaser, it's greater than the here and now. Faithfulness is far greater than that. We're gonna look at, uh, at this word a little bit, but before I do, let's, let's pray. Lord, help us as we dig into your word and study what it means to be faithful and to have faith. What is it you're saying when you develop this fruit within us? As we look at your word, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Faithfulness. Now, we've studied um, uh, several of these fruit already, and one thing that we're doing a lot, not in all of them, but a lot of them is studying the Greek. Here's why. Maybe you've never studied Greek and you wonder, why do pastors talk about Greek and Hebrew so much? Are they just weird? Yes, we are. Um, but originally, this letter that Paul wrote in Galatians was written in Greek. So we need to spend a little bit of time wrestling with what is he saying there? The Greek word for faithful, by the way, is this. It, it's, it's pistis. Yeah, don't laugh. It's pistis. Conviction or belief of belief respecting a person's relationship to God. It's trust. It's holy fervor. It's assurance. We study it and we get this kind of idea. But when you do a word study, you don't just look up one word and find the definition. You look at where it's used elsewhere. You have to look at it in context of how it's used by that same author and other authors in that language. And here's what we find. We don't need to study the Greek 
Because Paul, who I believe is the author of Hebrews, uh, we can argue about that later, um, it, we, we don't know for sure, but he writes in Hebrews chapter 11 the definition. He gives it to us in, in Greek, in English. Um, he says this in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is, there it is. Here's our definition. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Confidence and assurance. I have a confidence that I can put my faith and my hope in this because it's going to happen. It gives me assurance that what I'm believing isn't fake or isn't going to let me down. It's faithfulness. And that makes me want to give all that I am to it. But here's what's interesting as I studied more on this word faithfulness, this Greek word pistis. It's used here in Hebrews chapter 11 because I was looking everywhere in the Bible, it's used all over the place. But in Hebrews chapter 11, this word is used 23 times in 40 verses. It's a good place to park when you're gonna study faith. It's 23 times within 40 verses. He's clearly telling us something. And as we look through Hebrews chapter 11, maybe you've read it, maybe you've heard sermons on it, maybe you've studied it yourself. Hebrews chapter 11 is really the hall of fame of faith of people who've lived this way. And my Bible says it's the great examples. When I want to define something, a term or an action, I love to look to examples of what that looked like. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. So I'm reading through and studying for this message. And as I read chapter 11, something very clearly jumps out. Not only is faith used all the time, is that word used, but every time this word faith is tied with the echoes of heaven. It is connected to this belief that there's something more than what we see. And it's almost always tied to heaven. Here's what I mean. Look at what it says in, in in verse 10. Talking about Abraham, it says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. What was he looking for? Heaven. It's greater than here. Look at verse 16, talking about several of them, uh, Noah and Moses and Sarah says, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, tied with heaven, faith in heaven. Uh, Verse 26, talking about Moses here. He thought it, Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And when you, when you read that in the Bible, great reward is more than just the, the, uh, the blessings here, though that's part of it. Great reward is eternal. It carries with it this eternal promise. And, and then one more, and there's a few others in here, but one more just for time. Verse 35. It says, women received their loved ones back from death again, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. It's, it's showing that some saw their promise and some were tortured for it, but here's the kicker. They all placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. What it's saying to me as I study Hebrews 11 is that faith is, heaven, this view of heaven is essential to our faith and for our faith. If we are to live faithfully, if we are to live with great faith, we need to gain a perspective of our eternity in heaven. Now let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you stopped and thought about heaven? When was the last time you actually focused on on that promise? I know the older I get, the more I think about it. And if you're watching from the chapel, not that any of you are old at all. Maybe we think about it a little more as we grow older. Students, when was the last time you thought about heaven? 
And you thought how great it was. The younger we are, the more we look to all this stuff. But what we understand when we focus on heaven is this is our promise. It talks about, the Bible tells us heaven is streets of gold and gates of pearl and foundations of these gems and rubies. Like, that's the bling right there. That's heaven. It's going to be good. If that weren't enough, the Bible tells us more that there's, in heaven there's no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more pain. Yes, please. I got enough of that. But those two things are amazing. But what's greater than any of those and all of those combined is that heaven is the very presence of our Father. It's the very presence of our Creator, of our Redeemer, of our Savior. And here's the promise. When you're following Jesus and accepted him, your eternity is there. And that's where I put my faith. See, the the view of heaven and your your glimpse of heaven is essential and it molds our faith here, our lives of faithfulness here. It's so much greater than just believing or just being present. I'm looking at heaven and everything I do, every step I take, every decision I make is, is marked with my eternal promise. It changes everything. And I wanna look at Hebrews chapter 11 And I want to pull out three quick things. There's a lot here. And I could preach for days on Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, I'd encourage you to go home and read through it several times this week. Just read 11 over and over and over. So much will pop out to you. I want to pull out three things. And I'm really uh, kind of pointing out this, what a focus on eternity really means for our faith. What does a focus on eternity do to our faith? How does it impact how we live and what we do, decisions we make? I'm gonna pull out three quick points. Number one is this. With your faith focused on heaven, bold obedience becomes second nature. Bold obedience. God, you said it and I believe it. Here's what I mean. We're talking on Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. It says this, verse eight. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Think about this. He obeyed without knowing where he was going. Flip back to Genesis. This is the calling that the author of Hebrews is telling us. Genesis chapter 12, this is the call of Abraham. This is where God says, I want you to go. He says this, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. Just go, leave your home and go. He gives this promise. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Here's the kicker, verse four. And ever since I first started studying the Bible, this verse has captured my heart. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him. That's always grabbed me because if this really, in many parts of my life, were said about Adam, that God gave this kind of problem, promise and said, go. You know what? It probably wouldn't say, so Adam went. It probably would say, so Adam sat down with a whiteboard and measured out the pros and cons of following God to where he was leading. I, I, I don't know. It, it would be Adam saying, God, I, I believe you, but could you just give me a little bit of proof, a little bit of evidence? Like, could you send me a Polaroid shot of where I'm going? Because it'd really be cool. I'm a planner. When I go on vacation, I want to know where we're going for the minute. I, I, I like this stuff. But what gets me is God says, Abraham, I want you to go somewhere. I'll show you later. I got your promise, but but I'll give it to you later. I want you to go right now. And it says, so Abraham went. Man, talk about bold obedience, right? Here is what I found in my life in following Jesus, and I haven't always been perfect. 
But often God will call you to radical obedience, but won't give you the, the, the proof until you've actually taken the step. That's what faith is. Saying, God, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow you. And if you said, I will go. That's something that, that we see in, a, in Abraham's life. My, my family and I have moved across the state twice from we, we, living, leaving people we love and family and saying, God, you're calling us. And it's not easy. It's, it, it's hard when God calls you to something that's bold. But when this world is not my home, really, I say, okay, God, we're in. doesn't make it easier. I, I wonder if it was hard for Abraham. I don't know. He used to leave his home and his family and everything he knows. But Abraham, the Bible tells us, was able to sit there and go, but this isn't my home anyway. Because my eternal promise, we already read it, is with you. That's my ultimate home. So what I do in the next year or month, the rest of my, my life here, I need to live it to honor you. That's bold obedience. Here's the key. When this earth is not your home, bold moves don't seem so bold. <laughs> All right, God, I'll do it. I'm in. I'll move, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll talk to my neighbor, I'll, I'll talk to my coworker, I'll step out. They could shut me down, but hey, it's not my home. I'm gonna go serve with my guts out. It's not my home. They could shut me down, but this is where we're going, and this impacts faith because I look at heaven and go, all right, God, I'm in, let's do this. Bold faith becomes second nature. Number two is this. With your faith focused on heaven, desperation for God becomes greater than your desperation for the miracle. Here's what I mean. I've been guilty of it more than I care to admit. A lot of times in our lives, we're crying out to God for a miracle, for provision, for deliverance. We're crying out to God for the impossible. And we cry out to God and we, we start praying and seeking and God, we need this, I need this, I need this. And what happens, and I'm not gonna speak for you, but I'll speak for me. Sometimes in that prayer, my focus is so much on God doing the impossible, I miss God himself. The one who does the miracle. The one who is the miracle. The one who is the promise. Now listen, I believe that God can do the impossible. I believe in healing and provision. I've seen God heal my own body but the minute that that healing becomes greater than the healer, I've got a problem. I need to live with such a focus on eternity that all this stuff is a blessing. I love it when God does that, and he does. He's promised to. But my focus isn't here. God, it's on you. Look what it says about Sarah in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Abraham was, or it says, uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. God's promise back, we read it in chapter 12 of Genesis, was that God would make Abraham and Sarah into a great nation. In order to do that, they would need a child. They did not have a child, and they were too old, past childbearing age, but God promised. And we look in, verse, in chapter 21 of the same book, Genesis, the, verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would. It is really easy to read these nine chapters from 12 to 21 and go, God promised, God delivered. Yes, he does. What we miss if we don't really study is that for Abraham and Sarah, that was 25 long, hard years. 
And in that time, they were not perfect. Read it. But in that time, God was developing in them a desire for him more than the promise, more than the son, which is why I believe when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, which God provided and he did not. If you don't know the whole story, go read it. Abraham was willing because God, you're the promise. See, that's what he does within us. He causes there in us to be a focus on him, towards him. And when, you're, when your eyes turn to Jesus and the eternity and heaven, your desperation for him becomes center stage. God, I need you. Oh, I pray for miracles. Keep praying, people. But God, my focus is you. First and foremost. And when we turn our focus to him, something happens. I grew up singing this song. It's called Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, and I've used it before, but it's so impacted my life. It says, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Here's what happens. When I focus on Jesus and eternity with him in heaven, what happens is all this stuff starts to grow a little more dim. It's not home. It's not, my fulfillment isn't in all these things. It's in him. Now, he's the God of the promise and the God of the blessing, and I thank God for it. But the question is this, where's the focus? Who's your focus? Where's your home? Desperation for God has to be greater than the desperation for a miracle of provision. And with a faith focused on eternity, that's how we start to turn that corner. Number three is this. With your faith focused on heaven, pain comes with perspective. I don't like talking about pain all the time, but what I know is this life has plenty of it. I don't like focusing on it. I don't like the unfairness that we see in the world. I don't like the sorrow that we see in our world. But with a focus on eternity, it comes with a perspective. Let me read to you in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, one of the most unfair verses in the Bible. In fact, I read it, and when I don't understand it with perspective, I get a little bit angry. Like, what? How is that fair? Hebrews eleven thirteen says this. All these people died still believing, that God had prom- believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. That's not fair. I kind of want to scream sometimes. That's not fair. They, they, they died? Still believing? They did not receive what was... What? Listen, when it comes with perspective, and what we read over and over in these, these scriptures is their focus wasn't here, so for them it's not unfair because their promise wasn't here. When our promise is here, a lot of things in life will hit you as unfair. God, I want fair because our focus is here. But when we shift our focus to eternity, oh God, that's the ultimate promise anyway. And what I live for is the legacy I wanna pass on to those around me. I wanna pass that to them. But my, my, my destiny is heaven. I wanna leave it for you to keep going. I may not see that promised land, but God, I'm gonna lead the people there until you call me home and then I'm home. Pain comes with perspective. Loss is never easy. Loss is difficult. 
But, but God shows us in unique ways in these unfair and painful times that he is real. I was listening to a, a sermon, and I listen to lots of sermons because not only does it help me grow, but it challenges me. I was listening to a, a message by a, a Bill Johnson. He's a pastor down in Reading. Not too long ago, his wife had a battle with cancer, and God called her home. And three days later, he spoke to his congregation. <laughs> like, I don't know how I could do that. And he said these words, there are aspects of God's character you will only find in the valley of the shadow of death. When you walk through these difficult times, he said, listen, I found that God is there. But what I understood more in that moment is that she's with him. Just over seven years ago, I lost my mom to cancer. It was a difficult time. If you had any loss, I, I, I feel you, it's, it's hard. And, and in that room, in the sorrow, and parts of me wanted to say, God, why'd you take her? That's not fair. I remember getting called, and she had passed, and I stood by my mom's body, and I kissed her forehead, and I said, see you later. I said, see you later. Because when we understand pain from the perspective of heaven, what we understand is that 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 cry that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Doesn't mean it's any less or doesn't hurt as much, but it doesn't have a sting anymore because it's not final. My mom had a battle with cancer and we don't say that she lost the battle because she didn't have cancer anymore. Because my perspective is eternal. My hope is in Jesus, in heaven. And with that kind of faith, what happens here can no longer cripple us with sorrow and fear. Doesn't mean those difficult times don't come, but it's not gonna cripple me anymore. It's just not my home. Listen, in summary, faith is ultimately fixing our gaze on Christ. Jesus my life is for you. I give it to you. The author of Hebrews writes chapter 11 about the great examples of faith, defining what faith and faithfulness really is. He talks about heaven. And then to close this thought, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, he writes these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How do we live with faithfulness? We fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the initiator. He is the perfecter. The Holy Spirit then through us develops faithfulness. He gives us that perspective. And the crowds of those who've gone before have passed the baton to you and say, keep running, keep going. My mom loved Jesus. When she passed, it was like her saying, Adam, here's the baton, keep going. I know as soon as I say that, there's some of you who say, that's, that's I just want to plug my ears because maybe, maybe you weren't handed the baton. Maybe the legacy wasn't there. 
And I apologize for that, but I'll tell you this. If the baton has been dropped, will you pick it up? What are you passing on to those behind you? Are you part of that crowd that's cheering on those behind you saying, go, keep faithful, keep your perspective because they're in heaven saying, it's worth it. Maybe you don't have that heritage, but can I tell you that Hebrews chapter 11 tells you that you do when you follow him. It's all in keeping our eyes on Jesus. The Bible tells me that the only way to God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Here's how we're going to respond today. We're going to take a moment and focus on Jesus. If you're watching us in the chapel, thanks for being here. I want to, your host pastor is going to step up and lead you in a song and in a moment of prayer. I just want you to fix your gaze on Jesus and allow him to shape the faithfulness within you to follow him. Take a moment and focus on him. For those of you in this room and watching online, we're gonna close with two things. We're gonna close with communion and we're gonna close with a song, a short song. Because I believe that in order to understand heaven, we have to understand the path to get there and that's through Jesus Christ. If you have your communion elements, would you grab them? And would you take a moment and peel off the top? I tell you to do that because that's not always easy. These are a little tricky sometimes. On the top is a piece of bread. The Bible tells us this, that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he says to his disciples and in turn to you and I, this is my body. It was broken for you. You were on his mind. Because without him, we cannot make it to heaven. We have no promise of heaven. We, we, we are on our own. We can't do this. But through the, the, the broken body of Jesus, we can. And all these things that I just preached about become true for us. You take that bread in your hand, and I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. That his body was broken for me so that I could have the promise of eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's receive that together. The Bible tells us that on the same night, Jesus took the cup. He passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood, which was spilled for you. Every single person here and online, look at me for a second. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. You and I have sinned, and we have a, a price to pay. But Jesus looked at you and says, I'm going to pay this price for you because I want you in eternity with me. That's why he came. And his blood was shed that when we receive this and we say, God, my sins are under the blood, we are forgiven. And we have the promise of eternity with him. Hold that in your hand and I'm gonna pray. Lord, thank you that your blood was spilled, that I could be forgiven and made new. And I could have the promise with you of 
eternity. That death can no longer have a sting on my life. God, that all these things that seemingly unfair won't have an impact anymore because God, you are the eternal God who's defeated death, hell, and the grave. And as we receive this, we proclaim your death for eternity and your life that gives us the way to heaven. In Jesus' name, let's receive this together. Will you stand with me? Our worship team is going to lead us in a verse and a chorus of a song. And then after the song, I'm going to come up and close. I'm going to invite the worship, or the prayer team to come up after the song. But I want you in the next just couple moments, will you take a minute and say, Jesus, may my faith be focused on you. Maybe you're struggling with some things that are unfair and some pains and some hurts. Will you just turn your gaze to Jesus for a moment? Maybe you're hurting because of loss. Will you just take a moment and turn your gaze to Jesus? Maybe you're wrestling with God telling you to do something radical and obedient, and you're like, I don't know. Would you turn your gaze to Jesus in these next few moments and let your focus, let the focus of your faith be on him? We're going to sing this, and in a moment, I'm going to come back up and close this. Let's take a moment to focus on who he is.